nuclear proliferation, global pandemic, famine, environmental genocide, war. Mankind teeters on the brink of a second dark age. Everywhere you turn, chaos, anarchy, and shadow. In these bleak days, under the fading light, where businesses and the little guy are left for dead on the side of the byway, and people cry out for the rule of law, humanity is at a breaking point, where there is no light at the end of the tunnel, and everything good seems to have been barred, or banned, or barred. Two men offer up their voices in the darkness, a shining beacon leading the huddled masses into the safe harbor of good business practices and occasional time travel. Here are your hosts, the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham and L. Bradley Sheaf. She didn't recognize the face at first, but then her eyes flew open wide. She went to hug me and she spilled her purse. Well, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022, believe it or not. We are here at the IP frequently headquarters. Uh, that was a little Dan Fogelberg, Brad. And uh, I'll tell you what, I am ready for some 2022. You know what? You thought you were really ready to get rid of 2020. And you were. Uh, and then you get into 2021 very hopefully. And it turns out that nah, we're still not all the way back. And so, buddy, you and I are, we're positive. We're looking forward. We think 2022 is going to be the year that we really start to bring it back around. Let me reach over here in our studios, give you my first hug of the year. There you are, my good man. A ha very happy new year to you. A very happy new year to your lovely wife and kids. I look forward to seeing them. And as always, I am shocked at the turnout. Even here on New Year's Day, everybody's looking a little bit hangdog. I get it. Uh, we, we are going to look for a little hair of the dog here in the studio, keep people on the straight and narrow, but we appreciate the studio audience being here and, and happy new year to all of you out there. Yeah. Everyone is excited. We've got people here. We're going to go through some of our good uh, segments over the course of the past year. We're going to talk uh, forward looking about 2022, a few resolutions for the new year that we may want to get into work out a little bit more, maybe uh, watch the, uh, Watch the uh, the old diet, maybe uh, spend a little less time on the old boob tube, a little more time reading books. Um, and I, I think in your case, probably no longer adopting some of those rescue pets you adopt that viciously attack uh, members of our studio audience. Yeah, no, I, I, I would like to have fewer members of the studio audience attacked by my dog. So that is a resolution I have. I have shown, like, I mean, just for those of you, Scoring at home, I made like a sit down and watch the videos of the enraged monkeys and say, look, this is what happens when you're a bad dog. I mean, there are monkeys out there. You may not have realized it being a Colorado dog. There are monkeys out there and they will come for you if you do not behave. And so Laika herself has made some resolutions about her own behavior, being a little more, you know, patient with folks and a little less uh, toothy. Yeah. And, and, and of course, like a will be participating in the Westminster dog and kennel show 
Um, she is now, or he, not sure which, has turned over a new leaf because of those enraged monkeys. Um, but Brad, uh, as you know, we're sitting here in a studio audience. We're having a little champagne, toasting the new year. We had a rough night last night, rough night. We had a little outing with various members of our uh, studio audience and some of our uh, guests from the past year, Rob Clark, Silas Moody, that liberal guy. We all went out, broke bread, kind of, um, you know, set things right, shook the old Etch-A-Sketch on uh, 2021 into 2022. We will go ahead to a couple of our better segments from 2021, and hopefully you'll enjoy them as uh, as we sit here and toast away. The JFK assassination. You and I are JFK about to dive was assassinated. In. You and I are diving in. Why didn't anybody tell me this? Well, you know who's going to tell you? Our guest, Rob All Clark. Right. Well, all right. We are excited. 2021 on is opening up in a very big way for us. We have Rob Clark from the Lone Gunman podcast. So, Rob, it's great to great to have you. And how about that for an intro? Fantastic. Never heard another one like it. I appreciate it, guys. <laughs> I have one question for you, though. Fire. Where can I find a producer like Jared? I need one badly. He's great. You so guys are lucky. We found him at the local YMCA. Brad works out there four days a week. And they just, they met there. You know, how, you know who else used to work out at the YMCA all the time? Who? In Dallas? Oswald. Jack Ruby. Ah, he had a pool too. He liked to swim. I'm kind of like a, uh, a minor league JFK conspiracy guy. We've, we've got the whole, one of the first things I bought and we bought our new house in Dallas was one of those, the whole volume of the uh, Warren Commission report. So Brad can attest to this. I've got two shelves lined with the thing and I'm, I'm dedicated to solving it on this podcast here today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your work in the JFK case and your and your terrific podcast? It's kind of hard to find friends or people to talk to about this kind of stuff just because most people are like, well, who cares or whatever. You know, and I spent at that point 25 years looking into the case, researching, reading, you know, uh, just absorbing everything I could, trying to figure things out just like everybody else. And I didn't really have anybody to talk to about it. So I figured why not start a podcast so I can just talk about it and, uh, you know, get feedback from listeners and make new friends. And uh, so far, it's worked out great. And here we are five or six years later. Awesome. And you've got you've got over 100, I think it was 150 plus episodes now in the podcast. But here's the million dollar question, right? This is what it all comes down to. Who did it, right? Is it the Cubans, the mob, <laughs> some Bosnian anarchist, the Secret Service? Is it Oswald, someone behind the grassy knoll, in front of the grassy knoll? You... What, what do you think? What does your gut tell you? D, all the above. No. Um, <laughs> you know, my opinion has changed over the years based on various things, based on new information coming out. Um, you know, you might watch a documentary and be convinced that Lyndon Johnson was behind the whole thing. The more and more I look at it, the more and more I'm convinced that there's always a problem with every solution that I've heard so far whether it be the mafia did it or the anti-Castro Cubans or uh, whoever um, you want to blame for it. Uh, nobody has found the definitive answer yet. And that's why people are still looking into it. Here we are, you know, 58 years after the assassination, you know, I'm sure whoever planned this did a great job because personally, you know, I don't believe that Oswald was on the sixth floor shooting that crappy rifle. You know, and there is some evidence that maybe the shots came from different directions other than the sixth floor window. And that's why uh -oh. 
you know, I have so much stuff to talk about because it, there's never, it, the well never goes dry. Uh, at about the same time, Oswald started working at the school book depository. Jack Ruby uh, happened upon a fellow by the name of Larry Crayford at the Texas State Fair. And he was a drifter type guy. And uh, he offered him a free room and board in exchange for working at his carousel club. And this guy, uh, Larry Crayford, uh, bore a striking resemblance to Lee Harvey Oswald, which I, th- I believe accounts for many of the Oswald Ruby sightings, you know, before the assassination. Uh, and so far, in my opinion, no credible witness has come forward saying definitively, yes, I saw Oswald and Ruby together. Michael Jackson, Brad, man in the mirror. How about that? We're back here for another episode of IP Frequently, and we come in with the man, the myth, the legend, the late, great Michael Jackson. QAnon believers claim that uh, JFK Jr., uh, the late great uh, son of JFK Sr., uh, will apparently reappear in Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas, again, a place near and dear to your heart, um, and declare Donald Trump president. And this is uh, a, a recent article that uh, that just came out. And apparently there's some loophole in the Constitution, sort of like a Dealey Plaza exception that uh, would enable uh, JFK Jr. to overturn the uh, 2020 election after a year of um, uh, you know, sort of a settled case. And so, Brad, what do you think about that? Do you think that's likely to happen? <laughs> Let me get this straight. So JFK Jr., mm-hmm. the son, right? the son, yes, who's now probably how old? He's got to be 60, right? Oh, he's been dead since 1997, born in 1963. So he's going to be in his 60s, correct? So the theory here is that the dead JFK Jr. is going to show up in Dealey Plaza and make a declaration that Donald Trump is president. Now, in most cases, if someone were to stand in Dealey Plaza and make the declaration that Donald Trump is still president, that would be sort of the headline of that event, right? I'm not saying that event would necessarily draw a crowd, but anyone who happened to be standing around, that would be the headline is that there's someone standing here declaring Donald Trump is still the president. But don't you think that would be overshadowed by the fact that it's a dead guy doing it? That would be somewhat remarkable, yeah, in and of itself. But apparently, there are there is a large crowd of QAnon believers, of subscribers. I don't know if it's a it's, it's a subscription service or not. Uh, who have uh, sort of um, started to congregate in downtown Dallas, waiting for this declaration. And then I suppose Trump goes back to the White House, takes over, and then uh, apparently there are T-shirts out there saying Trump JFK Junior. twenty twenty four, which would put them on the same presidential ticket. I don't know who Trump's vice president would be when he goes back tomorrow or the next day, but they're on the same you know, ticket. Well, is the, it, 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 QAnon, I mean, these folks are obviously, you know, out there. Um, is the belief that JFK Jr. didn't die? I mean, that must be their position, right? They, they don't honestly believe a dead guy is going to show up and declare Donald Trump president, right? So is there... Is the official QAnon position that JFK Jr.'s death was faked or what have you? 
Uh, listen, uh, this is not my segment. Again, I you, you can't uh, you can't pin this all on me. I'm I'm just simply trying to decipher what it is that we've been we've been given. So it's sort of like when you boxed in the Navy, right? So they put you in the ring. You could either be in the ring with a kangaroo, in which case the kangaroo is going to get a little more applause and you're going to get over with the crowd or like a jamoke. And if you're in the ring with a jamoke, you know, you're probably going to have, you're not going to want to just go knock them out. Right. Because you get the pay-per-view at home. You get all the people that paid for the seats and the destroyer deck. You're going to want to just go in there, jab, jab, you know, play around a little bit, do a little dancing. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you're not getting oiled up, Brad. Just go out there and knock the guy out. Okay. So you got to work the crowd a little bit. So let's ask Jared, Jared, what, 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 what say you about this? It's your segment. Um, Is uh, Donald Trump, uh, uh, I'm sorry, JFK Jr. Is he alive? Well, I'm in Dealey Plaza now waiting for him. Okay. Don't, don't see him though. I I see some people dressed up as a zombie JFK Jr. Those are actually the least crazy people in the crowd. Yeah. That's probably nothing to do with QAnon. That's just the normal hobos that are that are there um but yeah so i, I guess brad we don't know it's it's sort of a mystery wrapped in a riddle i guess we could just leave jared on site at dealey plaza and get a report back at some point and you know who knows i mean the, the, the question is how does this impact your small business well obviously if your small business is in dealey plaza you've got you know issues to deal with there you wanted to talk about uh, the new book about Trump and uh, Robert Woodward, who is one of the great uh, uh, political How writers. How old is Bob Woodward? Let's see. He was in his 20s in 1973 when he took down the uh, Nixon, uh, uh, the folks in the big Nixon uh, campaign. So uh, including one Patrick J. Buchanan who came out smelling like a rose. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's going to be at least 75. I would, I would, I would guess. think. Yeah, I would guess. Anyway, good for him. Still writing, apparently, and still writing about Trump, apparently. Another book so, about Trump uh, has come out. It's about the uh, period of time between the election and, uh, of course, the inauguration. And I thought the most interesting thing that um, is in the new book was was a supposed quote from President Trump to the great Steve Bannon, who you and I both know and love, a fellow Navy man like yourself, um, who said before the January 6th rally and certification of the electors, quote, this is Trump to Bannon, we need to kill the Biden presidency in the crib. That's a quote? Well, it's a quote in a Robert Woodward book, which doesn't mean it necessarily was said by anyone. But I mean, what a hell of a thing to say, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, you can't say that. That's uh, that's what we like to call missing the boat. Right. Uh, And again, I don't think anybody, you know, who was around certainly here in these good United States during the Trump presidency was ever really convinced that the Trumpster was always in the boat. Right. Because he seemed to be ready to hop out of the boat and kind of swim around in any kind of crazy direction he wanted fairly frequently. But you are really missing the boat on how democracy works. If you believe that you have been defeated in an election, that a guy named Biden has, in fact, won that election, and then you want to try and kill that presidency in the crib, that's that's not what we're looking for, right? Like, you know, you and I are both big fans of democracy. We're not always big fans of the result, but that is just the price you pay for a democracy. And, you know, I think both you and I come down pretty solidly on the side that while there were likely some shenanigans in this presidential election, as there are shenanigans in almost every election held in any kind of a free country, that Biden did 
win that election. And as such, you know, we're not really looking to kill that presidency in the crib or any other presidency for that matter. Now, you know, whether or not Trump said it, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on whether or not you believe Woodward and his sources. Maybe. Why would you say in the crib? Why not on the potty? Well, I don't know. Both are disturbing, right? Yeah. I don't uh, I, I, I don't like the idea of anything being killed in a crib, uh, given that, you know, generally speaking, we put young things in a crib. So that's not what you're looking for. I'm not killing anyone on the potty, although I believe that was done in the Clint Eastwood movie, The Unforgiven. Yes. I believe a guy was blown out of an outhouse. Uh, but all of that is unsettling. So he I, was I not the president, though, right? I mean, I, I don't not to so. my knowledge. I don't believe that was part of the plot. I believe he was actually a guy who beat up on a hooker. And so maybe in that case, you deserve to be killed while you're taking a dump. I don't know. I haven't given it a lot of thought. But those and neither of those are, you know, what you're looking for. Uh, Brad, should we give that wheel another spin? Let's do it. Your turn. Let it All work. right. Hold on. Oh, dang it. I was going for the double your prize, but I didn't get it. But I did get this week in innovation. And Brad, this week in innovation, there is no more. Uh, advanced technology than what we're seeing in the sky, over the country, around the globe, uh, in the uh, form of unidentified foreign objects. Or flying objects, even. Foreign objects. Foreign flying. Foreign flying. Whatever you want to say. As you know, Donald Trump, before he left office, signed a bill that uh, gave the Pentagon a set number of time, I think until June, to report on all things related to UFOs. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing now are more and more reports, more and more videos of these unidentified flying objects. We're mm-hmm. seeing uh, when the naval pilots, I mean, it was on 60 Minutes the other night, Barack Obama has talked about how there are a lot of questions about some of these videos. But the reality is there are videos of objects that don't bear any of the characteristics of a manned craft or of a craft that would be a drone or anything like that um, in the sky. And, and, and some of the army officers who were on 60 Minutes said, this is something that's a very, very regular occurrence where they're encountering things in the sky they can't explain, that have uh, no exhaust, uh, that don't look like any type of uh, uh, vessel they've ever encountered and they're just, you know, they just they can't keep up with um so the question is uh what uh what do we think here i mean what better innovation could you have than a uh flying uh foreign uh unidentified uh object object yeah well i don't know i, I mean here I, I i have been paying attention to this a little bit just because i i find it interesting i think like most people i mean even whether or not you're you know a big ufo buff or whether or not, you know, it doesn't normally cross your mind. Some of these videos are interesting and, and the idea is intriguing. I think again, to anyone, the idea that there might be, you know, other intelligent life someplace out there is intriguing. So yeah, I mean, I've been paying attention to it and, and I was actually having this conversation with my wife the other day, as we were looking at a news report on these things is here's what I don't get. 
certainly there are things out there, right? I mean, all these videos, all these folks, they're not, they're not all kooks. They're not all crackpots. We were talking about military fighter pilots. And if something is going on, then either it's truly from another world or it was designed and built and, you know, something's going on right here on, you know, good old planet earth. Now, if it was from another world, I think we're relatively comfortable saying it didn't come from our solar system. But if you think these things are, are therefore coming from beyond our solar system, then you're talking about a group of folks who have technology that is interstellar, right? I mean, I believe the nearest stardust is like 14 light years away, right? So it would take 14 years to get here at the speed of light. So what's your objective in doing that? If your objective is to conquer us, well, then go ahead and do it. Right. But if your objective is just to observe, if you have that kind of technology, you would be able to observe without showing yourself. So what would be the point of showing yourself and then not doing something about that? If you have that kind of technology, like, oops, I just flew over a carrier battle group. I didn't mean to do that. And if it's terrestrial, then, you know, we have a problem. Right. Because somebody we're in real trouble at that point. ain't us has the ability to you know, create these objects. And I just find that hard to believe. My gut tells me we're missing something, right? In all these videos, that there's something going on that we're missing. Because again, I can't really figure out why a, a group with the kind of technology it would take to get here from another star would behave in this way. Doesn't make any sense. And I think if we honestly believed that some other country had this kind of technology, we wouldn't be doing a 60 minutes report on it. We would be trying to figure out what the hell we were going to do about that. Right. So I don't, I think we're missing something. Or it could be that we're trying to figure it out and we just can't. Yeah. In which case, again, it's probably not something you want to discuss on 60 minutes because you're basically telling whoever is creating those craft that we have our heads up our asses and we don't know what to do about it, yeah. which doesn't seem, you know, strategic. Well, it doesn't, but it also, you know, it's not like the military. These are ex-military that are giving these interviews. So, although Barack Obama came out and he said that there seems to be something there. So uh, that's a former president. I mean, that, you know, that, that lends it some uh, credence there, doesn't it? Barack Obama. I guess it depends on how you feel about old uh, former President Obama. Well, I mean, that's a podcast for another day, my friend. Indeed. Okay, buddy, there you have it. 41 years ago, the Back in Black album, ACDC, What Do You Do for Money? And I think, you know what? Where we are today, we've got reconciliation. Maybe we don't. We've got the debt ceiling. Maybe we don't. The question is, we all are asking our government is, what do we do for the money? You got this lunatic who's our Treasury Secretary, Yellen, who's talking about printing a trillion dollar platinum coin and depositing it at the Federal Reserve and using that as collateral to escape the debt ceiling. I mean, this we have truly entered, truly, the land of the um, insane. Um, there is no shortage of the platinum blank uh, eagles at the uh, U.S. Mint. So, and, and I'm reading from the, this document they produced, producing a trillion dollar eagle would uh, require the only change, the denomination on the Cohen, as my father would say, 
Um, it could be quickly executed, and I quote, on the existing plaster mold of the Platinum Eagle, or you could, Brad, just get a selfie and cross out the denomination and put in the trillion. It'd have to be a fine point, of course. Uh, then there'd be an automated process which would transfer the new design to a plastic resin mold. At that point, a coin could be struck in minutes at the West Point Mint, okay? And then it can be physically deposited at the New York Fed, which is only a short helicopter ride away. So Brad, they have thought about this and that gives them the equivalent of a trillion dollar increase in the debt limit right there, right there. That see, I mean, again, buddy, this is <laughs> all of those. I just, I, you have to laugh. All of those things I'm sure are true. I'm sure you can change the plaster, get to the, get to the plastic resin, get to the coin, put it, it on. It's like they're focused on the wrong things. Hey, like I, exactly. All of those things I'm things. sure are true, but it doesn't change reality. And frankly, if we're going to take this step, we're going to start talking about striking trillion dollar coins and then calling it good. Why don't we just say F it, not even have a budget and just have the government do whatever the hell it wants to do. Right. I mean, ad that's, hoc. that's like yeah, ad hoc. Ad hoc. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And but just I guess, say, eh, you know, don't worry about sure. any actual expenditure because it's all fake money anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess this is what happens. Like you go through everything we've seen, right. You know, you've got the, 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 like literally the, the press secretary was telling us that the millions of people that have come across the border illegally, it's a seasonal thing, quote unquote, seasonal thing. The Afghan withdrawal was a success. And they're now saying that the $3.5 trillion budget is net zero um, cost to the taxpayers because it increases revenue. I mean, it's all, it's all crazy. And then you top it off with this magic coin and what I thought I would do for this is say, okay, well, how is this impacting the president's poll numbers, right? Because he, he, there are polls out there that judge, just like there are Nielsen ratings that judge this program and have judged it to be the number one new program on the cable radio network here at IP Frequently. But there are polls out there, Brad, that gauge the performance of the president. You know that. Yes, I do know that. So I've pulled up the latest Quinnipiac poll. And if you know anything about the Quinnipiac poll, it's the one that said Biden would win by like 30 points last time. Very, very skewed in favor of Democratic voters. And so you'd think he's doing pretty, pretty well. Um, and so they went through a number of issues and they polled. And again, there's a Democratic poll. Um, and you just go down the list, right? Coronavirus performance, 48% approve. 50% disapprove. So not bad, right? A net two, um, a minus two performance, but you know, economy, 39% approve, 55% disapprove. Uh, job as commander in chief of the US military, 37% approve, 58% disapprove. Taxes, 37% approve, 54% disapprove. Foreign policy, 34% approve, 58% disapprove. Immigration, 25% approve, 67% disapprove, and the Mexican border, 23% approve, 67% disapprove. I mean, it is just, these numbers for a Democratic president are absolutely, they, they should be sending off sirens in terms of what's going to happen in the midterm election and Biden's chances uh, for re-election, which obviously it's kind of a joke at that point. But these are absolutely horrific numbers for a sitting president. And this isn't just the Trump people, right? When you see 55, 60%, 70% disapprove, 
That means people that voted for Biden are disapproving on these core issues, which are issues people vote on. And the administration, rather than recognizing that and maybe moving a little to the center, it, they're ignoring it and their numbers are getting worse. Well, I, I mean, I, again, I mean, as you point out, the, this is a poll that should be skewed in favor of the president and probably is, which tells you just how bad those numbers are. But when you have decided to live in a fantasy world, then you can ignore this as well, right? When you have decided to solve fiscal problems by minting a trillion dollar coin, that's your solution, then it certainly makes at least as much sense as that to just pretend these polls just poof, don't exist. How about this one? Is the Biden administration competent in running the government? No, 55 to 42. I mean, yeah. just, a, just a slap in the face. But let me ask you this. More importantly than any of this, if you got your hands on that trillion-dollar coin, what would you do? Well, you got problems there, my friend, because it's going to be tough for people to make change. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're a counterfeiter, what you typically do is you counterfeit the $20 bill. It's the most commonly used bill in American currency. And you don't go buy $20 worth of something, right? That's not what you do. You go into the dime store, you grab a pack of gum, you go to the cashier, you hand him the counterfeit 20, he hands you back you know, 18 bucks worth of real money. That's what you're trying to do. And so theoretically, you'd want to go buy that same pack of gum, knock two bucks off a trillion and get all of the rest of it back in real US currency. But I don't think you're going to be able to do that because again, that bill that that coin was struck you know in a fantasy world right that that coin was struck in narnia yeah so maybe maybe you go down to the local five and dime and get yourself uh maybe a six pack of coors light maybe a four pack of zima and you're on your way and just dump to keep the change i agree with you if i could get a four pack of zima then i think i've made a good trade there exactly i mean if you say you know when you have a zima of course it's you have to keep on giving right because it's a refreshing malt beverage that leaves just a vicious uh, hangover the next day. Exactly. You're never going to forget you had a Zima, at least not for 72 hours. You can only hope to contain it. It's like a case of the COVID. Correct. All right. uh, Welcome back to IP Frequently. We are just going to, you and I are just going to blindfold each other, reach into this bag and pull out whatever comes first. So let's go ahead. Let's spin the uh, old bag, shake it around. Um, and, uh, Brad, do you want to do the honors or should I, I, I will reach in. Hang on just a second here. I got to find the opening with this zipper and zip that elbow deep. Remember elbow deep. Hold on. All right. Yeah. Elbow deep. Ooh, it's a lot of mess in here, buddy. It doesn't feel uh, here. All right. Here's a hand, hand that over to me. Hand that All right. Over you to me. Here. We'll and stick again, your hand out for the, thank you. Right, for, those you of you, right. for those of you here in the studio audience, again, Apologies. Uh, a lot of this, you know, it's a lot more physical this week. And, and, but you get the benefit of seeing this. And let's unfold this and see. Well, Brad, barter band. Oh, barter, barter band. band. This early uh, in the program. I love it. Never done before. It's, it's, no. it, it's never been done. No. It has I mean, not. This, is, this is like batting Babe Ruth first in a lineup. You are literally going out with your best hitter. And you know what? If he hits it out of the park, he hits it out of the park. Well, let's hope he does. Well, it's one run. It's not four. Well, no, but I mean, we'll take one at this point. 
at this point, we'll take what we can get. Uh, Barter Band, Bronze Stevie. For those of you uh, playing the home game, Bronze Stevie award-winning segment, Barter Band. It has been uh, vetted and feted uh, throughout the U.S. and into Canada, Brad, and into Canada. Very excited about this. This week, Barter Band is brought to you by IPedia, the automation of innovation, taking care of all of your hot tub and patenting needs since 2018. Uh, Brad, this week, Barter Band, Alec Baldwin Movies. And I know you are a big movie fan, big fan of Alec Baldwin. I know you loved him on 30 Rock. You loved him in that movie with that guy. And uh, I don't remember that one. Um, But now apparently he's murdered a um, assistant director on the set with a live gun. So someone apparently handed Alec Baldwin a live gun on the set of his latest movie, Rust, which is, by the way, a terrible name for a movie. But we'll, but again, someone's dead. The director is injured. He's apparently shot the two people with the most power on the set. And now people are saying that potentially Alec Baldwin could have criminal liability, certainly civil liability. So the powers that be downtown who have again, you know, have said, look, we have to go with this whole, you know, pulling out stuff out of the, the bag. Um, they're, they're saying we should, we should opine on whether or not Alec Baldwin movies should be barred or banned. And then I guess the next question, Brad, is should they have been barred or banned before this senseless murder? Well, let me get a couple of things straight here, buddy, because as you know, pop culture is not, you know, my wheelhouse. So is Alec Baldwin the most famous Baldwin brother? Is he okay. the one that's on Saturday Night Live that does the Trump? Is that Alec Baldwin? So I, I knew you were going to ask this question. Good, good okay? man. Okay. So I've gone, I've done some research. Yeah. There are at least four Baldwins that we Sheesh, know of. Four. Okay. There's yeah. Alec Baldwin. He's the guy that killed the woman on the set. Uh-huh. Okay. There's Billy Baldwin, who I believe is a um, a, a preacher. There's Stephen Baldwin, who may be the preacher. One of them was on The Apprentice. I don't know. And then there's Baldwin Baldwin, which is the figure skater who I don't think is affiliated with the Baldwin family, even though he's got Baldwin. He's got to be affiliated with some Baldwin family, but not the one at issue. So we have Alec, Stevie and Billy. Billy, yeah, correct. And the most famous one, the one who was married to the woman who claimed to be Spanish of some sort, maybe Hispanic, but isn't and played Trump on Saturday Night Live. That's Alec Baldwin. That's this that, one that we're talking about. That would be Alec Baldwin. Correct. And he's okay. now the producer of this movie, Rust, which is filming in the uh, in the uh, southeast uh, or southwest or somewhere in the United States. And apparently he pulled a, a gun out on the set as part of the film, as far as we know, and shot dead. Uh, a couple of the uh, folks who were working on the film. So, the, uh, yeah, I, I saw this and at least the report that I saw, which was an early report, was that he had been handed what he was told was a prop, a stage handgun and proceeded to fire it, thinking that that's what it was and hit some poor gal who I, I believe was a cinematographer by trade and then a guy who was either an assistant director or the director of the movie. And as, oh, and then this buddy is remarkably not uncommon. I mean, I know you and I remember when Bruce Lee's kid was killed, right? So first question I have is, 
is what the hell is going on? What do you need in the course of a movie to have, I, I guess, realism or whatever? Why does anything ever exit the barrel of a stage firearm? Right. I know for, for me in my past life, carrying around weapons was a common thing you did. And the first thing you were taught was that you never, ever point that thing in the direction of anyone you don't intend to kill. Yeah. Right? It was just drilled into your head that you don't do that. And so it would be hard for me to, to even, I guess, be on a stage and do that because I'd be so anxious about that just because of the years I spent having that drilled into my head. But I, I don't get that. Right. And, and so maybe we can discuss that. And secondly, if it wasn't a stage prop, if it was a live handgun, how do you not know that? Again, I realize my background, probably different from Alec Baldwin's, but the guy's been around for a while. I'm pretty damn sure if I picked up a live handgun, I could look at it and go, no, 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 this ain't no prop. We also have other problems going on in uh, in in space, sort of dovetails with what we talked about uh, earlier with our domestic policy. As you know, if you don't have your house in order, others are going to come and try to take it down. We saw that China fired a hypersonic nuclear uh, uh, rocket around right around the Earth, sort of showing its uh, advanced weaponry. Uh, it was said that it took. Uh, the U.S. military by surprise. Um, and when asked about it, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, who I also think is a vegan farmer, Brad, a vegan farmer, said when asked about it, whether or not the U.S. is concerned about this Chinese military buildup, said, I quote, we welcome stiff competition. Oh, man. You have to wonder if she's just miss or uninformed or if she's an idiot, or if she's just doesn't care anymore and is, you know, just saying things to see what kind of a reaction she's going to get. I don't know her. So it's hard for me to make a call on that, but we're not really looking for stiff competition in the nuclear arena. Right? That's, you know, I mean, we may be looking for it economically. We may be looking for it with technology, obviously competition drives, folks to, you know, make the next innovation, et cetera, when you're talking about markets. But when you're talking about nuclear war, you don't really want to look at your opponent and say, that a boy, that was a good stiff jab to the kisser. Let's keep that up. Right. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And I first thought this was some way to go get the Asteroid. So at first, when this was fired, I was for it. Now I'm against it. But the, you also see North Korea firing more uh, rockets. You see China very aggressive in its uh, uh, naval exercises around Taiwan, and it's flying over Taiwanese airspace. But Brad, the good news is President Biden has also said, and this also comes, Brad, from the press conference with Jen Psaki, um, that, uh, that President Biden will be preparing to host a virtual summit with uh, Chinese President Xi later this year. So how do you host? Let me ask you this. How do you host a virtual summit? Like if I have a virtual powwow with you, right, where we're on Zoom or we're in some sort of a FaceTime, 
who's the host? Is the, the, the person initiated the call the host? Is the person that received the call? Who's the host? How, who's to say he's hosting? Is he offering some sort of a, uh, a spread? Is there going to be um, you know, a, a picnic basket sent to China? And even if it was, he's not going to eat it, Brad. She's not gonna, he's got bodyguards in the trial that food. It could be poisoned. Next, Brad, finally, we've got barred or banned. Uh, unpaid volunteers, barred or banned. Should you bar them? Should you ban them? What do you think? Well, it's sort of redundant, right? I mean, I think if you are a volunteer, you are unpaid. I mean, I think that's kind of the nature of volunteerism, although, you know, maybe not. Maybe you can volunteer for a paid position. I don't know. Uh, But I guess it would depend on the circumstances. I mean, if I had people volunteering for the unpaid position of surprising me at random street corners and pushing me into oncoming traffic, I would bar or ban those volunteers. But if I had volunteers that were useful, purposeful, well-trained, serving the public, volunteers of that nature, uh, and that were doing it unpaid, you know, on their own time, just, you know, sort of good people willing to help their community, I think those volunteers I would keep. The Art Institute of Chicago, again, your old stomping grounds, again, you were a Chicagoanian, relies on a number of volunteers um, to work in its um, museum and within its institution because it is an art institution. Um, they had over a hundred of these volunteers, 82 of whom were active. Again, all, all unpaid, all of whom are unpaid. Um, in September of this year, they were all let go. They were fired, according to the Wall Street Journal. And the reason they were fired is not because they chose to take four or uh, five months of uh, paternity leave, which I would say was paid. Um, no, rather they were not diverse enough. And so the Institute decided to sort of take the etch a sketch, shake it and start over. Um, so the question now is, should all of these volunteers, if they're not diverse enough, uh, to the liking of the board that runs the Institute, uh, be barred or banned, uh, um, beaten, I guess is another way to look at it. Uh, some people beat their head into a, uh, into a, a wall when they hear a story like this. But Brad, what do you think ultimately? You're going to bar them, you're going to ban them. Well, I, let me just make sure I understand. So the the Art Institute of Chicago, which is a, a relatively well-known art museum, had a number of what I believe they call docents, right? There are these folks, they are volunteers, and they lead you know, guided tours through the museum for school kids, for, you know, special groups, for, you know, retirees that show up on a bus, whoever. And in order to do that, they have to actually know, not just their way around the museum, obviously it'd be tough to lead a tour if you got lost yourself, but they have to be able to know the art itself and know it in enough detail that they can answer questions, that they can point out interesting facts. And it's my understanding that it, it takes like a decade, which sounds remarkable, but when you stop and think about how big that museum is, how much art there is, all the various different types of art, all of the information you'd have to know about how one makes that art, famous artists, et cetera, I guess it, it, it actually makes some sense that before you could say, yep, I know everything there is to know about every piece of art in here, that that would take you 10 years. And they had a number of those folks who could do that. And they let all of them 
who were white go. Mm-hmm. Is that, do I have that correctly? I mean, my understanding is that they terminated all of them and then rehired some of them. But, um, but basically they hired the, they fired the large majority of their unpaid volunteer workforce. Well, I, I mean, but I, you know what? I Go ahead. I mean, at this point in our culture, maybe the best thing is to let these lunatics have their day. And then when it all falls apart, when they cannot conduct tours and there's no one in that building who knows the answer to any questions about any of the art, maybe then someone will say, well, geez, I mean, that was a bad idea. And if I guess I could see it, I have no idea. But I mean, if, if there was a policy in place that said you have to be white to be a docent in the Chicago Museum of Art or Art Institute, and then I guess, you know, that that's probably something you look at and you go, mm, we probably need to adjust that. But my understanding is there just happened to be folks who were largely white who volunteered to take those positions. No one was telling anyone else of any race, creed, color, et cetera, that they couldn't do it. Just very few folks showed up to volunteer for that position. I don't know why. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Right. Sounds like there was an equal opportunity there to come and put in the time necessary to become a docent and just happened that in the city of Chicago at the art Institute thereof, that those were mostly white folks. And I I don't get how it helps to a rid yourself for the people who know the most about your museum or B how that is going to encourage non-white folks to come and take those positions. I mean, what do you say? Do you just say, Hey, look, we fired all the white people. And so, you know, come and take their job. I, I, I mean, how's that supposed to work? Well, Brad, it's been a, a great first episode of 2022. Um, the studio audience is is uh, uh, excited. They're they're jacked and pumped. I think a few of them are a little intoxicated, which is troubling for this time of the morning. But we want to tell everyone thank you for listening to our uh, our IP Frequently show, being part of the IP Frequently family. Of course, you can learn more about us on our uh, website, ipfrequently.com. The Instaface uh, is at IP underscore frequently. Uh, Brad, I think it's probably time for you and I to maybe go out, take a few of these uh, uh, audience members back to their uh, various and sundry hotel rooms and then make a break for it. Absolutely, buddy. Some to the hotel room, some to the emergency room, some to the nearest lockup that we can find. Hey, hey, don't look at me like that. We're doing it for your own good. 2022 is going to be a great year. We're going to be here with you all the way through it on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.